I think the way I look at Stoa and that is reflected in my Twitter bio, right? It's a place where uh, we discover, we nurture, as well as you know, uh, back or vouch for the underdogs, right? Nice. The underrated uh, talent out there, which is probably going to define the Indian economy for decades to come. I feel like I've seen some of those myself. I'm very inactive on LinkedIn, so like unless I see something from, especially you, Aditya, you are the only source that I actually go to because some of some of the stuff you post is, you know, useful. And then I land into Raj's stuff and I'm like, what is what is he doing? But I always get a chuckle though. I think he delivers on a chuckle every time you check out his stuff on LinkedIn. The challenge there is I think education and fitness are the only two customer businesses where the customer has to pay money and they yeah. undergo suffering, right? Like in some yeah. transformation, right? Yeah. Suffering. And you can only do so much. Like you can't yeah. solve the motivation. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Building Public Podcast. I am your host, KP. And today I am joined by a dynamic duo from India, the founders of Stoa. I have a lot of things to say about these guys. They're my favorite founders right now in India. I'm probably biased because I'm a big time fan of Stoa and a, and a small check investor. So putting the disclosure out there, of course, I'm of course biased. But having said that, you know, they, we, you know, the founding team here that I'm talking to, they have done a lot of interesting, novel, out of the box marketing initiatives, you know, to promote Stoa and just to kind of, you know, build a movement around this alternative MBA. And that's what I've been a big fan of. Do they want to uncover the full story, the origin story, how they got together, the evolution of Stoa and everything under the sun. But first, welcome to the show, Raj and Aditya. Hey, thank you, KP, for Thanks for having us, I almost uh, had to like click on that annoying little speaker icon on your LinkedIn to pronounce your last name. I thought I had the hard to pronounce last name with the double V and the D, Puvara, and you have the you have definitely worse than me. Kunkoliankar. Is that right? Kunkoliankar? The Kur is a soft sound, right? Yep, yeah. Yep. You got that right. Um, Aditya has definitely has got a very famous last name, Kulkarni. So, you know, I think we're good with yours. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you both joining from? Give us a, give the audience who may not know much about you a quick 30 second, 60 second intro of your background. What were you doing before Stoa? And where are you joining now from? Uh, yeah, so I've been in education tech for the last 10 years, right? Like, have paid my dues for the first eight years, built a couple of companies. Uh, was fortunate enough that, you know, I had some decent exits. I mean, something that I don't regret. Yeah, like, so made some small cash. But yeah, last eight years, I've been in education, explored a lot, primarily in K-12, a lot on the emotional well-being side for children. In fact, the legal name of the company, Questo Stoa, started as a teenager well-being platform just before the pandemic. So yeah, I spent eight years in K-12, realized that it's really tough to make money in early education, child education, and then met Raj and then uh, Stoa happened. I'm joining from Bangalore. But Stoa, I mean, while we built it for the last couple of years, I was in Nasik, which is a small town near Bombay, about three hours yeah. away. This, it's been an interesting 10 years. Right? Like, I'm almost completing 10 years after my MBA. And you went to B-School, like in, in the, you went to an elite B-School, didn't you? Yeah, I went to IIM Bangalore, which is one of the top B-Schools here. Which is an interesting data point because you're building the future of what I think would be like, you know, MBA for the next 20, 30, 40 years. And you're almost creating a fork and making it a very hard choice for someone to choose the traditional MBA versus, you know, what's cooler, what's more bang for the buck and what's more efficient and realistic and pragmatic in my view, which is Stoa. We're going to talk all about that in a second, but I had to put that out there because you actually were an insider turned outsider, you know, and so it's very, very uh, fascinating in my view. Raj, tell us a little bit about you, your background, and where you're joining from, and what's up with this red background. 
Yeah, so I'm going to start off with where I'm based out of. I'm in Goa right now, born, brought up uh, here. Right, A lot of people think that one moves here because, you know, for those who are aware of India and all the tourist destinations around Goa, is like a was a sleepy beachside, you know, laid back, uh, interesting place to be, like a cultural hotspot. Pretty much picking up steam now, a lot of, uh, you know, tech scenes happening, a lot of tech nomadism kicking in. So I'm out of Goa, based on Goa. And uh, after college, after getting a degree in physics, I uh, you know, dived into education, not thinking from an entrepreneurial lens per se, but coming at it out of curiosity, right? Like I wanted to teach. That was probably one of the only things that I knew I was good at after all those rejected PhD applications. And uh, one thing led to another. I realized that uh, the only way you could uh, scale impact was by running it like uh, a business. And that's how entrepreneurship happened. Tried out a few ventures one was like, you know, Indian equivalent of Lambda School. Realized that income share agreements are probably not the best thing to happen in India. I mean, well, not the best thing to try out, right, in the Indian markets. But through that journey, built an audience on the internet, like met Aditya on uh, Twitter. And uh, two years, two and a half years on here, uh, we are, right? Like, we are here to not disrupt as much as, you know, put together a new system for business talent in India and hopefully the developing world in years to come. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that really stands out by your background, Raj, especially is for those of the audience who know you, they would probably describe you as a cheeky teacher, right? You definitely have the teacher side of you. You're not afraid to share your insights, build in public, quote unquote, you know, like basically give away all the playbooks and, you know, all pre- all kinds of information that you learned and gathered along the way. However, there's a sense of uh, mischief. There's a sense of an edge that I felt and I loved it. And I, that, I think that gives Stoa a little bit of character, a little bit of a, you know, fun personality as a brand, which is because uh, I mean, one of the things that I shared with you guys when I first found out, found out about you is that that's what got me into the radar, you know, is that a lot of the ed tech companies, including like the ones in the US, you know, I think play too safe because they think education is so serious, right? But the customer base don't want to feel that way, right? The actual customers are tired of traditional, very rigid, you know, systems. And if you can offer a relief one where it's expert led, number one, number two, it's more relatable, more fun, you know, entertaining, like edutainment, as we know, you hate the term, but like, as we know, that's like the future the better it is, in my view. So that's how I would describe Stoa. But I'm curious how both of you would pitch Stoa to our audience here. If, they, if somebody doesn't know what Stoa is, stoaschool.com, correct? Actually, you even have the Stoa.com now. Yeah. Very. Yeah, we recently acquired Stoa.com. That was like a dream come true. But like here we are, right? Like in a place, thankfully, we were able to invest in that. So I think the way I look at Stoa, and that is reflected in my Twitter bio, right? It's a place where uh, we discover, we nurture, as well as, you know, uh, back or vouch for the underdogs, right? Uh, the underrated uh, talent out there, which is probably going to define the Indian economy for decades to come, right? So it's an entire system which sort of replicates the traditional uh, MBA right. landscape in India, right? That's at least my yeah. way of looking at yeah. Aditya, what about, what about you? How do you look at it? I'm you have your own. So, firstly, I think the way we are going about it or the iterations where they are headed is we want to establish a professional charter for business talent, right? So, Stoa is increasingly turning into a charter versus just being a cohort-based course, right? And as Raj said, as we understand, there are four 
important uh, sort of components of an MBA system, right? There is the upskilling and learning part of it. There is the networking and the community part of it. There is the long-term brand signal. When you say I'm from Harvard or Stanford or whatever, it has a long term. And then the right. fourth thing is a career shift, right? Like people do change functions, industries, their comp level at the end of, end of their MBA. So these are the four sort of things which make up the MBA bundle. Now we are replicating the same bundle, but the instead of filtering people at the entry gate, we are filtering people after they have had access to learning and community, right? Mm-hmm. So the signal comes from an exit exam or the charter exam rather than an entry exam like a GMAT and the application process. So everybody gets to learn, but they need to pass a certain bar at the exit to earn the brand and the career opportunities. So, I mean, this is the sort of, you know, how Stowa is structured. Currently, I, I think the, going back to your previous question, right, about the brand being a little quirky, Raj had this bio on LinkedIn for a long time, which is why should MBAs have all the fun? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I think for any education company, it is always a struggle, right? Because you think of yourself as an institution, but customers are looking at you not necessarily as an institution. They still look right. at you as a startup. Right. So where you land on that spectrum, right? Like, and it's a very tricky balance. Like, if you go very institution-wise, the rules and how you treat your customers is very different. And if you treat them like startups, uh, <laughs> that, that is whole another uh, sort of story. So where do you lie on that spectrum, right? And uh, and at Stoa, we have had this dance, right? Like we have tried to adjust ourselves. Like we were a lot on the fun side and the startup side. Then we tried to be a lot more institutional. And then I think now the pendulum is swinging the other way a bit. Right. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's a delicate dance. And as you both know, I've been in the tech industry myself for the last, I guess, four years now since since I joined on deck. I definitely didn't mean to be in, get into ed tech. I was an accidental entry. And all of my time... I've realized, you know, one thing, this is probably a good thing for us to brainstorm on is that when you are an upstart, brand new entry into an established market category, especially in education, nothing is way more powerful than credential, right? So as you know, like on deck, we had an insane monopoly on credential. Like, I think, you know, it's not a lie. Like we, of course, we had community, we had all these other aspects that were going well for us. But as I reflect on the journey there, you know, the education aspect or the learning aspect was actually light, was heavy on community which was a welcome sign during the early days of pandemic because people were longing, craving for any ounce of community anywhere on the internet. So it clearly worked in our favor, but the credential actually was the strongest signal in my view, right? Like the credential of, you know, Silicon Valley, top elite people were there, et cetera, et cetera. However, you know, as I kind of graduated out of that sort of camp and now I'm like you know, day one and now I have, I have a lot of friends at Maven, a lot of friends everywhere around, Credential can only take you so far. Maybe it can get you to the first quarter in a four-quarter four basketball game reference. The next three quarters are really predicated on good business fundamentals, discipline, you know, like not overhiring and all that stuff. And, you know, I feel the la- next three you know, quarters, so genuinely, it's best if you adapt the mindset of being a consumer platform or a consumer startup as opposed to be an ad tech startup. Because with ad tech, you kind of, what I've noticed is some of the founders that I work with is that you kind of subconsciously inherit the college playbook and you try to compare yourself with your customers with the college going kids or customers, but you don't have that college level peer pressure to finish a course, you know, they're adults, to apply for 15 credits. You know, there's like no pressure that's driving them to do go through the pipeline you know which are we love our pipelines don't we 
So it purely becomes the customer play at that point. It's almost like a consumer play at that point. So you have to treat them. What I've learned, my final like you know, nugget of this thing is it's so much safer and better if the if, the, if an up-and-coming young ed tech founder treats their ed tech product slash offering as a consumer offering. Because it means you really have to earn it every month. Because consumer, you know, if you in B2C, they're very fickle, you know, and they're, you know, like credential doesn't matter, right? Like people buy because of, how they feel and like the marketing and all that other things. So it's probably a good thing that you guys are swing, putting this pendulum back into like, you know, a little bit more cheeky and a little bit more fun because until, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, brand and credential won't manifest unless you had it at day one, right? The first day. So it will take its sweet time and you cannot accelerate brand journey. All you can do is just have fun and let people have fun and make it more fun to them and be extremely disciplined with the business fundamentals, you know? So the... I actually am curious. Sorry, was there a comment, Raj? Were you going to say something? Or I think this uh, thought, right, is that being consumer also yeah. helps you iterate, right? Whereas if you are an education institution, so to say, you're expected to, you know, start Monolith. off in a rather yeah. frozen yeah. post-PMF, as you yeah. call it, right? Monolithic uh, state, which is just like a copy-paste yeah. of an existing yeah. you know, college or uh, university or a MOOC platform or so on. But if you treat yourself as a consumer play, then right. of course you open doors to that the startup right. mindset, right? That helps you sort of move in the right direction. Take, exactly. Take so my the, favorite go where the market recent sort of, thing that uh, came to mind um, that right. I that, saw somewhere was somehow. like Brian Chesky talking about Airbnb and he mentioned that they launched six times. I can't think of one ed tech company that launched six times because, you know, they are too stiff about this, right? Can you imagine like OnDeck launching six times saying like, we're the new OnDeck, the new OnDeck, the new OnDeck? Because it's like they feel there's a sense of so much pressure that you have to really have nailed it. Otherwise, you're doing something wrong. As opposed to Airbnb, they launched six times before they got to PMF. And I think that's what I'm trying to get to, which is, you know, ed tech founders, unfortunately, because they're compared with institutions that are usually century long stable, like Harvard hasn't changed since 150 years. I went to Vanderbilt, hasn't changed since 150 years. That comparison, I think, is inaccurate. Although there's education, there's some learning, but really it should be compared more to a Airbnb or Uber or, you know, some DoorDash or whatever these tech startups, purely consumer that are constantly iterating and finding out their place in the world at scale. Because the, the hardest thing, the reason why they're launching six times, seven times is they're trying to figure out what is the messaging, what is the channel, what is the customer that can get them to hyper speed, hyper growth, right? Like this scale speed. And with ad tech, because you're just very stiff and you're like always comparing yourself against the wrong incumbents, you just can't get to hyper speed because you're trying to think, oh, we're, we're better than Harvard. We're faster than Harvard. So we should be doing something good. But that's not how the consumer perceive you the consumer perceives you as the thing i talk about we even with day one founders ceo andrew and we talk about this all the time i'm like look andrew we have to do something different here we cannot our tag is 14.99 right us dollars 1500 dollars for my build track that i'm building there and which we're iterating on the price but when we first announced it there was a lot of buzz there's a lot of people who were excited they're like they trust me i'm a trustable candidate in that niche so they know that i'll get the job done but as i talked did more customer discovery after launch as I was talking to a lot of people, like I'm sensing hesitation and I was like, there's something going on here. They're not feeling comfortable paying $1,500 in this inflation recession market we're in right now. And I caught myself going through the same process. I was at Costco, which is, you know, Merca's version of, I don't know, it's the equivalent in India, a giant big, let's say Walmart. I was there and I was, I was staring at a uh, TV and this is my favorite anecdote. And the TV is 
I think $1,200. And I, my wife's walking past me and she's like, why are you staring at this for like 20 minutes? Well, if you want to buy it, just buy it because you can afford it. And I said, yeah, you know what? I'm going to buy it for Christmas in December. You know, it's $1,200. Why do I want to let go of $1,200 right now? And I just hit me that that is how every customer in my pipeline is thinking. That they're comparing the getting this sort of course or program, whatever, with an expensive consumer purchase. And they're like, would I want a brand new 70-inch TV or would I want a you know, join store chapter, for example. I don't know. I'm just making this up. Yeah. And so you really have to compete at that psychological level, not that, oh, we're cheaper than Harvard because Harvard's 200K. That's not even the question at this point. Unless you're only selling to the 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds who are generally in that peer pressure that they need to finish college. Most people who finished college, if you talk to them, they feel like they actually finished something. They're like, why would I want to start back again? I just finished it. So it, the dark answer is people are not as inclined to learning as much as we think they are. You know, but they're more inclined to other things like status. They're inclined to getting raised at a job. They're getting inclined to making more money, all these other things. But I don't think like education alone is like that much of a noble, you know, pursuit, especially in the, in the day and age of Internet where Rajas no, I, I all the, people free. the challenge there is, I think, education and fitness are the only two consumer businesses where the customer has to pay money. And they yeah. undergo suffering, right? Like in some yeah. sort of transformation, thing. right? Yeah, suffering. And you can only do so much. Like you can't yeah. solve the motivation. You can't solve for a bunch of those things. By the way, to your point, I mean, I'm not just like you know <laughs> trying to blow our own trumpet, but we did announce after our cohort work that we are shutting down store, and we did relaunch. And I think you know. Uh, yeah, so 500 people turned up on that Zoom call and like, you know, we had a bunch of, you know, messages saying, hey, don't take it too hard, you know, entrepreneurs fail all the time. And we were like, no, we are shutting down this format and we are launching a new one. <laughs> like, but yeah, I think we have done that a bunch of times. It's, uh, I love that. It, so check me back to... I think, yeah, I've lost track of the number of times we've like changed the landing page and yeah. we the offering as such, right? Like an relaunch, I think, you know... Yeah. It's, it's going to happen for some time to come I, as well. And and the the iteration is just that. part of the game. And I, I heard this from, um, I forgot, it was, I think it was Arvid Kahl or one of, my, one of my friends who's a serial entrepreneur. He said like, iterated the landing page, you know, like I lost count maybe like 50, 60, 70 times in, in the span of a year. And he said until it became a mafia offer where once they saw it, it was hard to refuse you know, and it's not that simple to get to that core kernel of truth, kernel of truth with uh, just like first attempt. It takes a lot of, you know, reiteration messaging. So anyway, love that. So let's get back to the early days of Stoa. One of you, if you remember, what was the first actual offering of Stoa and who was your first paying customer? So the first program was just three months, right? Like this was peak uh, pandemic, right? Like right after wave one in India. It was a three month program, daily 90 minutes of class. So it was days on a drop and it was priced at $1,500, right? So, uh, which oh, was nice. Yeah. And we actually wrote the landing page thinking we will attract people who are coding but don't enjoy it. So, want to move to the business side. But when we launched, everyone else except that consumer persona came in, right? So, we had uh, people who were pursuing PhDs in course sciences come in. We had uh, chartered analysts come in. We had people who were already in business roles come in. The first cohort was actually 27 and it was, a, I mean, we did have students, I think, from Singapore, US, and then nice. India. And 
these US folks who turn up at eight o'clock, they're trying to go through. So yeah, it was a three-month, you know, alternate NBA, and I thought that first quarter it was pretty much me. Right. Back in the day, back in the day, we used to call it NBA, the NBA boot camp. Right, and uh, I think progressively we've gone on to like the second version. That what we named right. it was the startup MBA. Then we realized that wait, people are thinking that this is some right. program for entrepreneurs, right? Like right. for people who are looking to start up. Then we changed the name to Stoa MBA, right? Like we wanted to, of course, uh, borrow equity yeah. from the MBA term, right? Like that was like right. a right. good pricing anchor and so on. And uh, I think uh, earlier this year, we took the decision to sort of snip out the MBA term right. from the name right. completely, from the offering, right? What we call the offering completely. Back then, by the way, we were also yes. called as Stoa School. So Stoa School had an offering called as the MBA Bootcamp or, or the Stoa MBA whatnot. But now, like the whole, now that we're like, try, moving towards creating a system, the system itself is like called STOA, right? Like we've dropped the school, dropped the MBA. I think now we're just riding purely on the basis of right. our name, so to say. With MBA somewhere right. in the you know, sub. You know, I mean, something just came to mind when you said that through the iteration of sort of the value prop and anchors, finding the right anchor to anchor it to, you know, another observation that I had and want to hear your thoughts on this is that as you mature, especially in a tech, as you kind of, you know, evolve as a business and grow through the stages, I think the job of the founders, you know, or at least one founder becomes completely about storytelling and messaging at the top of the funnel. Because if you've been in the business for this long, that means that there have been enough people that who went through the cycle and then went through the product experience and transformation that the product actually works, right? I saw the same thing even at, you know, on deck, even now at day one, I see like the, this, usually with a tech and fitness, to your point, the product actually works. It's that the people who need the product are, aren't willing to let go of the money, aren't willing to go through this suffering slash transformation. So the job to be done actually moves farther and farther up the top of the funnel, where if you can find a way to create an aha moment or a magic for them at a micro level at the top of the funnel, they'll come in. And it's really just on the top. And so I was just thinking about this and I'm like, because, you know, the inside of it works. Like, you know, for example, I trust by now that if I take a Stoa thing, I'm sure there's structure and systems inside of it, that there's guidance, there's, you know, like the journey is mapped out really well. There's the people around me are smart people, you know. So I think that part is very clear. The part where I think a lot of us, including, you know, my customers struggle with or are hesitant are they're on the fence. They're like, you know, how do I, like, is this for me? Do I need this? Do I have to put in more work? I don't want to put in more work. I'm lazy, you know. So it's it's about, I'm wondering if we can throw out a red carpet at the top of the funnel and make it like, you know, there's this concept of auditing courses in the US. I don't know if this exists in yeah. these schools in India too. I probably think, yes. Is there a way to like get 15,000 people audit, you know, something and get a taste of it for free so that they can self-opt in and get into the deeper parts of the funnel themselves? Is this something you're thinking about? Is this happening already? Raj, do you mind if I uh, answer? Yeah. So, see, we have got the fact that a consumer will take six months to pay us, right? Because that is now we have data for 24 months. We know that the average time from the first time somebody discovers to or we have some idea that like, you know, they have come into the funnel to the time they pay us is typically five to six months for us. Now we also know the markers, right? If somebody has attended three of our events, so our top of the funnel is these weekly events that we do. So we do two events every week. And, and these are free, correct? These are open to the public, general public. 
Yeah, the typical registrations are about 1500 to 2000 and about 500 people turn up, right? And uh, what we have seen work there is the more honest we are about what is possible and what is not possible, people actually buy that honesty more than, you know, what the, I mean, they buy into us before they buy into the program, right? And wow. a lot of events are essentially roasting people, right? Like, uh, for example, very recently, uh, one guy came in, you know, and in the Zoom chat, he typed like three long paras saying, you know, I'm 25 years old and I'm doing this and there's a long message and I'm a customer success executive and I want to become a product market leader. You know, this is the, this was the summary. And I literally told him on the call that, hey, like, if you want to be a product market leader, the first thing you need to figure out is how to write down those three paras in under five lines. I mean, product marketing didn't happen, but like writing well needs to happen first. And I think the next day that, that person called our program advisor and said, I want to buy. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of focus at store, even within the program, and we are increasingly, I mean, all this MBA and alternate MBA is funded. The challenges that we see in India is 99% of Indian learners have never had one single good learning experience in their life. Yeah. Their school was bad, their college was yeah. bad, and increasingly we are looking at ourselves as a finishing school, right? Like this is where we essentially teach people how to think well, how to write well, how to communicate well. Right. And I think as long as we are able to do those three things well, right, like in the six, nine months that they spent with us, it's okay if they don't learn anything about product or marketing or anything. Right. Like because the true transformation is actually there. So yeah, I mean, I don't know if I answered your question, but that yeah. just being honest and like, you know, telling people the truth. So, that you're so give me a sense of, so give me a sense of, let's say somebody on the podcast, on this audience may want to attend one of these events. What happens in these events what are some styles and types of you know things are they all similar events or are there a couple of flavors in this so i think uh, there are a bunch of flavors right like i'll walk you through the last event that i conducted which was on how to write a cold mary and uh, the way we went about it was i mean we look yeah. at events <laughs> as magic shows right like how can we make magic happen for the user right so talked through a few tips, leased through a few tips, showed a few examples of what is the right thing to do, what's not the right thing to do. But the most fun part was when we dropped a form at the start of the event and said that, listen, at the end, we're going to roast five, six mails and redo the mails for you, all right? Uh, so drop in, drop in like a screenshot, who you wrote this to, what you wanted to get out of them. Around 80 odd people, all right, like sent in a screenshot in the middle of the event on a Google form. And uh, so we picked up mails and like made the chat sort of use the tips given in the event. Right. To, right. you know, like suggest changes and roast stuff. So it was pretty much like a, you know, one of a kind experience for a lot of people who came in. It was entertaining. You learned a lot. And especially because it was entertaining, I'm sure people would now, Think about one of every the time they write a mail right. to someone, right. they'd probably hear, you know, my voice in their head, right? Like roasting, like, hey, why are you, uh, you know, capitalizing <laughs> random letters in, in the sentence or why, why is your paragraph so like doing right? a, like whatever. So, doing some social service to I think uh, the rest of the It's a magic and, show. Because you know, <laughs> like the recipients of all these upgraded and uh, refined emails would thank you. They should pay you. They should pay Stoa more than the senders of these emails. That's funny. That's so. That's the one flavor, right? How to, you know, write a great cold email. Uh, so it's, are there a series of how-tos like, how to create a landing page that sells, you know, is, is it more 
of that type or are there other sort of frameworks like product market fit or I mean I guess that's more of an entrepreneurship topic maybe sorry what else what else is there so things right from you know cold calling how to apply like for your next job you get your resume straight right how to yeah. manage your manager right <laughs> like uh, of course clickbait right there but pretty much stuff across you know careers you know tactical how tos sometimes aditya comes in and takes you know a class on let's say marketing or uh, strategy and it's more of crowd work right like it's not share a ppt and uh, whatever you pick up questions from the crowd like for the cold cold calling uh, workshop what was done was that people in the audience had to make suggestions on what we would be selling to some other person wow. right and we would demo it live on call and you asked me about like what's up with the red background with, right like so it's, right, it's sure, a part of the the show so to say right like you have to create that environment wherein people sort of get to check out of their reality and step into a slightly different uh, world because i mean people do have extremely right. like unfortunately boring right live right not not so happening lives in some some form of entertainment why not, right yeah for free like why not right people so love I'm that i'm curious to um, no um the vibe from you so aditya what was the uh, two things two questions for both of you what's the absolute best the most fun session you ever led in your time at stoa and the second question is what's the absolute best and most fun session you ever attended anywhere in your life stoa or we school here or where whatever could be a magic literal magic show anything i'll give you some time to think let's switch to raj cuz raj might probably have a quicker top of mind answer for this raj do you have an answer for this yeah so this is yeah this is the 7th of september wait wait today uh, yeah for 2022 yeah in in an hour we will be yeah we're going to be heading into apple's you know launch event so i think yeah. that's something that i look forward to right like it sort of marks yes. progression of time right. for me ki oh man like the new iphone is sort of launched even if i'm not going to buy it right i'm going to yes there's so much optimism in right. there right there's so much looking up to things in progress and you know like hey, we, we made it one more year through i like the sort of distortion whatever right like they tend to create with those events even for non right you but i've been watching them for almost like what a decade it's a social experience lot to learn from there personally for me i think a bunch of these workshops like i, I would do these workshops around twitter right like how to use twitter for professionals and uh, what happens is i think for us like since we are so used to the platform it's not a big deal right, right. we have a following there's no cold start problem we just tweet something right. we show we really get attention but for a lot of people that's definitely another case so my favorite like workshop that i like to conduct are the ones mm-hmm. helping onboard people onto twitter uh, properly right like that's something that i get kicked out of because someone did it to you know did it for me and now i'm reaping the benefits that person is not even active on twitter anymore right like but i'm reaping the benefits yes. and like who knows god knows right like who else may benefit from do you also do a uh, linkedin too platform. do you do linkedin specific i have recently started doing linkedin specific stuff because like now i am myself getting a hang of uh, you know <laughs> clickbaiting on and then she's uh, on the same post on, on linkedin all post on twitter <laughs> he would go and write that on linkedin and then come back on twitter and say hey like i just posted this screen stuff on <laughs> i'm washing your sins <laughs> i'm just washing my sins oh my god but yeah i feel like i've seen some of those myself i'm very inactive on linkedin so like unless i see something from especially you aditya you are the only source that i actually go to cuz some of the some of the stuff you post is you know useful and then i land into raj's stuff and i'm like what is what is he doing but i always get a chuckle though i think he delivers on a chuckle every time you check out his stuff on linkedin 
but that's funny. I didn't know that he would come back to Twitter and then roast himself. That's funny. So, Aditya, you got your answers? So, I think my favorite sessions have been actually sessions where I've helped on framing in general, right? Like, and I think that is where most people struggle, right? Like, when, let's say you have a situation of conflict at work, like let's say an HBR case study, and you ask people to frame the conflict in one line. And I have seen that as such a powerful thing, right? Like, once you get a hang of it, like, you know, just asking, hey, what is the business problem you're trying to solve here? Or what is the business goal? And I've seen most people, like, it takes incredible amount of practice to develop that as a skill, right? Like, just this framing. And your frame basically determines everything, right? Like, if you yeah. take an optimistic frame or aspirational frame, the solutions you will come up with are always going to be like, how do I increase revenue versus how do I reduce cost, right? So, like, framing sessions that I have done personally are my favorite because I have a lot of fun, right? That also includes a lot of toasting because, <laughs> you know, uh, in fact, uh, once I was doing the session and I think in the chat, the learner started going, like, he just got toasted, right? Like, ran through a bunch of submissions and saying, hey, this is not good and all of that. First, the, my personal learning experience that I found very interesting, especially in the last two, three years, is I did this workshop called This Is Doing. This is run by Adam. Company is called This Is Doing. Uh, they're a German-based company. And they do this three-day workshop on fundamentals of facilitation. And it is, it is an interesting experience. And I picked up a lot of insights about facilitation, about icebreaker activities, about pacing the session, about you know, Zoom persona, all of that from that three-day do you mind sharing like one nugget from there? Anything you can reflect on now? Like something that you didn't know when before going into it, but that should change your life and now you're always using it? So the framework is actually freedom versus control, right? Like when you're facilitating or when you're running a session, at every point, you're essentially letting go and you need to make these choices very carefully, right? At what point do you want the session to fly and let the learners have the control? versus when do you want to be in control, right? And that's a very interesting way to look at how you pace, like, you know, after that, actually, I started then plotting, if I'm doing a 50-minute session, I now literally have these 10-minute blocks and I have very clear sort of facilitation styles in my mind. What is it that I want to do? What I What is it that I want to achieve in those 10 minutes? And what is going to be my style, right? Like, Am I going to let learners try this or do I want to be in charge for that 10 minutes? Right. Fascinating. I think facilitation is an underrated teacher skill, you know, for everybody in tech. That's awesome. So switching gears a little bit here. So my next question is, how did you both meet and what was that first interaction like? You know, was it on a phone call? Was it on a Zoom? And what was that about? I'm curious how you, you know, met as a co-founder duo. I think I'll let Aditya... Take this one because this side of the story is uh, so, much more uh, interesting than mine. So there is a network called Transcend Network, right? Uh, which is a network of tech founders based in SF. And yeah. Raj was their cohort one fellow. I was cohort two fellow. Uh, now we have a lot of commonalities apart from we come from the same college and all of that. But I, I mean, at that time I did not know it. So when I joined Transcend, I actually DM'd Raj on Twitter, right? Like so, it started as a conversation on Twitter DM. And at that point, Raj was selling the course on how to do your Twitter well for something like twenty dollars. So I paid that. <laughs> that is how we started talking. You paid that to get to 
you know, get to know him or get to interact with him. Yeah. And then, of course, we, then, you know, we were from same college and both our companies were sort of not going anywhere and we started jamming. Mm-hmm. And our first thought was, hey, let us at least like get a productized service, right? Like how do we get to 10k MRR, right? Like let's figure that out. Then I think we experimented for about four months where we like, you know, went through a bunch of random ideas, failed at all of them before sort of store, uh, you know, Raj, what is your side of the story? Pretty much the same, right? I still remember Aditya's handle at the rate creator teacher. And uh, <laughs> like, you know, it's like interacting with a account which had like very less, you know, following or activity. And like, you're like, can't really establish a reading on the person, right? With that less of activity and a generic name to add to it. So couldn't even LinkedIn much. <laughs> it's only when like we really got talking, he said he, he joined Transcend. I was like, ah, okay. Like, you know, why is he joining Transcend? Like, uh, so it was like a bunch of questions and then uh, we sort of got talking. And I think we if Aditya wasn't trying to build... We met in person like, after our cohort one got over, right? Like in the first time we met was he had already worked for a year together. And because of course the pandemic stuff, all of us were stuck at home. So we met a year. In fact, the whole team met one year after we started actually. Wow. So, yeah. Right. So that's funny. So when, I mean, when you were just talking to each other, kind of building out some of the early experiments, did you always know that you wanted to be co-founders and like kind of figure something out where you're both partners and then, you know, scale it up? Or was it more so like a, let's explore, let's see where things go, let's not decide on anything concrete? I think we dated for three months or so before taking the call to sort of formalize it, right? Because the challenging part of that was I had already raised a small round and the, mm. you know, so there were a bunch of complications. There. Right. But we went through this, I think, dating period of three for me. He had a team, by the way, that whole team is now part of Stoa and they're still with us, you know, to three months nice. out. But yeah, so we had a dating period of three, four months before we sort of formalized. Uh, yeah. Um, so I'm curious, Raj, when you first met Aditya, right, what was the one unique quality that stood out for you and him that you thought, okay, this is actually very interesting? And in what ways do you think he has grown as a entrepreneur since then to today? I think, you know, just the turnaround times on things and uh, the you know, like ability to pick things up and want to you know, like learn how you know, things get done in even in domains which are not core areas of expertise. I think that's something that I really appreciated. Just the, the drive, right? Like uh, to push things and get get them done. I think, and the energy, because I remember the time we met, Aditya kind of, I think was, uh, they were expecting their first son and that happened. And even in the midst of all of that, like could really see things being very aggressively pushed, right? And we were used to operating at a slightly different speed as as a team, right? Like you take your sweet time to do things. So I think right. that was that's something that stood out right at the right at the start. Right. Because I can remember trying to tell him, you know, like we were exploring making a list of teachers to sort of contact. Right. Uh, and we wanted to get a we used built with Right, the tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We saw people who were unteachable and sort of made a list to get out outreach them. So we were talking about that, and even before we sort of decided to move in together, and he was like already getting his hands dirty on that. So I think it's just that the ability to you know flatten learning curves, so to say, is pretty crazy, right? And yeah, I mean over the years. 
because it's i don't think any one of us has run a company i've in fact never worked worked at any company right like yeah so it's it's been quite an adventure to sort of go from like just you know like bumbling around to now like actually actively recruiting having a team of right. i don't know like there are 50 or 50 plus 60 odd people on slack right now that's the only way i keep track of how many people we sort of like have around and deal with because i don't do the payroll right and uh, it's been an adventure right at every sort of like doubling of numbers yeah i mean yeah. i keep on saying this that if if i knew how hard it would be i'd try to run a company to grow it i'd probably not have started in the first place i'd be like look like let me sort of be a salary man for life the, right but i think the, uh, it's the fun part the naivety of you know the beginner yeah. right the beginner's eyes that's always a blessing Aditya, what about you? What's uh, what's one quality immediately stood out for you in Raj back then? And what do you think? A slightly different question for you for part two is: What do you think is a quality that you know you know that he works so hard at, and you're like you saw him work really hard, and he's now crushing it at that? So the first, right? I think, and for example, why we even renamed the company Stoa, and like you know, I think there are a lot of thoughtfulness that uh, is associated with Stoa. and a lot of you know for example hundred days of mba or store dv a lot of thoughtfulness in the company comes from raj right like he is the and we have a couple of more co-founders right like so even though we are the places they sort of execute the program part of it and all of that but with raj what was very interesting is he's a voracious reader right like and he would go back to literature and that is probably because of his physics degree or whatever right but with every concept whether it is branding whether it is for example charter in fact the charter idea he started pitching i think 6 9 months back and then he went down that rabbit hole like you know came back with uh, the whole structured approach on how we can adapt it etc etc so i often like when i now pitch roles to like you know when we are hiring i often see this that like, he's the brain trust of stoa right like i mean of course the bias for action and some of the bad cop kind of stuff comes from me was <laughs> 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 it team but right uh, yeah sort of what do you think is the tr- quality that he worked so hard at over the years he worked at or i i worked on he, yeah what's yeah, the quality that you saw him work so hard at i think we are both learning by the way and this is common between us <laughs> we are trying to learn how to be managed like <laughs> it's in reality right like with the whole i, I think program. i i just to add to that right i recently told someone on the team that listen like i'm a good leader but i suck as a manager so like please don't like let, don't uh, lead us to a place where i have to manage you right like you better sort of like do your thing right like in a way that you don't need to be managed so uh, yeah that's like a fair comment so in a way right like some may say that hey you suck at this so why are you running a business school but i think a lot of things that we line manager right like we are very bad at it like i mean that is the general sense we have which like you know yeah. a lot of people are better off not reporting into us you could also be because you you know so many of the principles and the frameworks and how to be best and so you you have a lot of sort of you know knowledge that you're staring at and comparing you know your actual action to and most people are probably again just like uh, how raj was at the beginning maybe they're just ignorant to their own blind spots so they're not aware but it's hard i think you know i this is one of my reminds me of my conversation with friend sama which by the way thanks for i can recall we talked about 
the intro, right? I, I don't know if I did the, you, we, we talked about the intro or we went through or not. But anyway, I did the podcast interview with Funny. And I said, what was the hardest part of Redbus? And he didn't say, he didn't say anything about market, marketing, customers, products, none of that. He just said people. He's a leading, you know, at, especially towards the end. There's those many, I think they had thousands or something employees. And he said, that was the hardest part of the whole Redbus story for me. And I, I really was like, wow, you know. It is always the people, right? As you scale. So awesome. That brings me to the end of my question list. I have a few more, but I'll save it for another round at some point. Thank you so much for being here, both of you. I enjoyed chatting with you both. I enjoyed learning about your story, your reflections and learnings and lessons. And I mean, my belief in store is only magnified and strengthened, you know, every time I talk to you. Because you, I think personally, you both are very, like, well-suited to run something like Stoa. And seems like you're having fun doing it. So keep on the good work and uh, I can't wait to keep thank you for having us. Thanks, thanks, KP. Thanks for the questions. Of course. All right. I hope to see you again on, you know, on, on where, we, where we meet next. See you on Twitter and, and LinkedIn, all right? See you guys. Bye-bye. Bye.